What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernie Show, part of the Indie Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernie. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 16th, 2020. However you're listening to this thing, thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find the podcast, and I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, this is episode 41 of the Matt Bernier Show. Uh, you can find the show audio only, Apple Podcasts, uh, your Android device, uh, SoundCloud, in the moneypodcast.com. So many different ways to find this show. Uh, you can also find all the other podcasts that In The Money Media has to offer, including the flagship show, including Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker, including JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin, The Red Board Rewind with Spencer Luganbuehl, Nick Luck's Daily Podcast, you name it. There's a million things you can find in themoneypodcast.com or any of those other spots that you get your podcasts. Or if you listen on YouTube and you, you watch and follow along, you, you, you get involved with the Friday feature and things of that nature, uh, search bar on YouTube. Matt Bernier show this episode as long as the uh, as long along with along with the 40 prior will show up there and you can take them all in do whatever you want with them go back re-listen to things some of the episodes some of the pods recently have been more evergreen which I think is a positive you know there's not necessarily a, a, a finite shelf life for them you know you can go through and listen to different things take notes especially last week's show which is going back and looking at the last seven Breeders' Cup races from 2020. The classic through the, oh, say it, the big-ass fans, Dirt Mile. And today's episode, we will go through the remaining two races that were on the Breeders' Cup Saturday card, the turf sprint along with the Philly and Mare sprint, and go over the five races from Friday, the two-year-olds, the juveniles. I will be totally up front with you. The two turf sprints... I will go over them, but they will be very brief for reasons that many of you already know. Those of you that may be new to the program, I am terrible at turf sprints, so I really don't have a hell of a lot that I'm going to offer you as far as insight is concerned. I'm going to state a lot of the Captain Obvious things there, but as far as trying to glean some sort of information from me on turf sprints, I'm the wrong person to ask. So I will go briefly over those two. But the other races, I think, we'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, we'll also get back into the Friday feature. And that's actually how we'll kick things off here with episode 41. We're going to talk to Tom Espinoza. Uh, he was the Friday feature winner a couple weeks back prior to the Breeders' Cup. Uh, this week's Friday feature is the sixth race at Del Mar on Friday. It's a nice Calbred N1X race. Um, there's a question I'm going to pose in the midst of the Friday feature with Tom. If any of you know the answer, and maybe, again, I'm just overlooking it entirely, uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, and I should have said it before. Wherever you take this thing in, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, the whole nine, because it helps us get content out in many different fashions. So uh, please follow along. Um, but yeah, I, I had a question that needed to be posed because for the life of me, I can't figure out the answer. So maybe some of you who are sharper than I can can correct me and, and figure out what I'm missing here. So uh, the Friday feature for this week, Delmar's sixth race. We have Tom Espinosa helping us out. If you want to be in Tom's position next week, you need to leave your selection for 
Delmar6 beneath the video player on YouTube. If you correctly identify the winner, I will contact you, and we will get a time set up for next week to have you on the pod. Uh, so let's just roll right into it. We're going to go over the Friday feature, and coming out of that, we will wrap up Breeders' Cup 2020 with the seven, the first seven races, I guess. Put it that way. The first two from Saturday, and then the five juvenile races on Friday. But first things first, the Friday feature with Tom Espinoza, Delmar's sixth race coming up this week. All right, Friday feature time. We're going to be taking a look at the sixth race at Del Mar on Friday, November the 20th to help us out. Tom Espinoza was the winner of the Friday feature, what was it, probably two weeks ago now, before the Breeders' Cup. And Tom has been a longtime listener and follower. I appreciate the sort of sustained support. Tom, how are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me on. What, uh, over, well, let's start with, with Twitter. Where can people follow you on social media? Um, it's Tom, at Tom Espinoza, uh, the number nine. Okay, easy enough, nice and simple. I like things that we don't have to get too crazy where you see some of these handles that they've got 15 numbers at the end of them and trying to remember the order of, of just random mishmash, a little bit difficult to do. So I, I like simple, I like easy. Uh, let's get a little bit of background. I know you're a California guy. Have you lived out there your entire life? How did you get involved in racing? Uh, a little bit of background. Okay, I was, well, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. Um, I still work there, I said, but I, but I no longer live there. I live about 80 miles east. Um, and I just started, the first person to go to the track in my family was my mom through a church group. Really? She came home. Yeah, <laughs> of all things, figure, right? Of all things, she came home and she said, oh, it was a good time. We had a good time. And um, she forced my dad to go. My dad was just kind of like baseball, football, boxing kind of guy. She forced him to go, and he fell in love with it. And I kind of took off with it when he fell in love with it. Uh, my first trip to the track was at Golden Gate Fields. I think I was probably second or third grade. And uh, I believe I hit the daily double just picking off the little tip sheet that we bought that day. And from there, I was hooked. And ever since then, I just been playing horses and um, handicapping. Well, trying to learn handicapping still. Um, the odd thing, though, is like uh, in May of, no, April 1st of 94, I met my future wife. And I kind of had to grow up. And so horse racing kind of took a back seat, uh, raised a family, got a big boy job that uh, required me to work weekends. So for quite a few years, I... I kind of tepidly followed horse racing. I couldn't really devote the time that I wanted to. And uh, I guess around 2012, 13, I started to get weekends off finally. And um, and then I started to kind of get back into it, but I was lost. The I was My handicapping was not really relevant anymore because the speed had really taken over racing. I had heard about it, but I hadn't really been following. So I didn't know. But when I was hand, trying to handicap races, I just wasn't winning anything. I mean, I wasn't even close. And then uh, your horse player show came on and that kind of stoked the fires again. And I kind of watched everything, how you guys handicapped. And for a while, I just kind of watched and didn't really dive too deep into it. I'd heard about the tournaments that I, I was wondering, I was like, how do you do a handicapping tournament? I, I had no idea. And then the show really showed me how that works. And as I went along, the show, you know, was only on for, I think, one season, which unfortunately that happened. But then I found you at uh, the Daily Racing Forum, and you had your weekly show with Illman and Beer. And I watched that religiously. And, I mean, no disrespect to those two, but 
your handicapping just kind of struck a chord with me. It made sense to me. You explained things, you know, and you even went out there and said, hey, I, I'm not good at the turf sprints or wet tracks. So I just kind of started following you. And then when you left the racing form, um, that's when I ha opened a Twitter account because I wanted to keep following you. And I was like, well, how am I going to keep track of this guy? So, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I just, you know, kept on following you and taking your advice and listening to your, you know, the switching of the leads and you got to be out front certain tracks. And, but I do see now that how speed is, is really a dominant factor in racing. I think that's one of those, those pieces where, you know, we, we see these, especially, you know, on the heels of the Breeders' Cup and we had the European horses come over here and it's just such a difference, not just because we're obviously in, in Europe, predominantly they run on grass as opposed to here, we pro predominantly run on dirt, but even in the turf racing differences where here speed is still at a premium on grass, you need to be able to finish, don't get me wrong, but, but in Europe, typically you have rabbits to ensure that there's a pace, whereas here it's seemingly the case where you still need to be forwardly placed in order to be in a good position to win. We see that time and time again now in New York, specifically with their grass racing, where if you're not forwardly placed, because these paces are on the dawdling side, the horses from the back of the pack, they may have a wicked kick, but they have to make up so much ground at the end. And the horses on the front who have been afforded these comfortable sort of lollygagging fractions out there, they've still got plenty left in the tank for that stretch run. So I think it is just one of those things. And I, I have people, and, and probably to a fault, I talk about speed. And, and I'm guilty of it from time to time just getting sort of locked into one specific thing. But it, it's such an important factor here in the United States specifically. It's important really anywhere, but, but here I feel like it is just so much more so than anywhere else in the, in the world because so much of our game is predicated on... I mean, when you think about it, it, it sounds silly. But in a race, would you rather be ahead of everyone that you're running against or behind them? When the, the the core of it is you're trying to finish ahead of them. I mean, it's easier to win when you're out there than trying to rally from way off of it. So I think speed is is certainly at an absolute premium regardless of the surface. Turf racing, though, I suppose you can get it to change a little bit. And this race that we'll talk about here for the Friday feature, the sixth at Del Mar, you know, I, I selected the race because I understand it's not a big field. We've only got eight horses that are scheduled to go. But I think there are so many layers to this race because you have horses who, in in a prior life, were arguably graded stakes caliber, who it, have seemingly just completely lost their form because of a layoff or whatever the case may be. We'll get to that one horse in, in particular momentarily. But you have other horses who are trying winners for the first time, transitioning back to turf for the first time in a long, long time, stretching out in distance. You, you have so many different elements to this, and the pace situation, to me, is a little bit on the murky side. So let's dive into the race itself. We're talking about a non-winners of one other than for Calbreds going a mile on the turf. Now, I need to also throw something out there with one horse in particular, and Tom, maybe you know, or someone else who's listening knows. I've gone through, and I, I, I continue to read it time and time again. The conditions of the race, I'll read the entire thing. For Cal-bred or Cal-sired three-year-olds and up, which have never won $15,000 once other than maiden, claiming, or starter, or have never won two races, or claiming price of $20,000. So effectively, you can run in the race if you're in for the $20,000 tag. You can run in the race if you've never won two races, or you can run in the race if you have never won 
$15,000 other than your maiden race, a open claiming event, or a starter allowance race. Which leads me to the number five horse, or excuse me, four horse, Handsome Cat. I, I don't know how the horse is eligible for the race and not in for the tag. Now, these are the early PPs. Maybe something will change in time. I mean, am I missing something? He's won at the N1X level two starts back at Santa Anita going six furlongs on dirt. Obviously, the most recent start, the starter allowance that he won, you don't hold that against him, but now he is up over two lifetime victories. He's won three times. I don't know how he's eligible for this race to not be in for the tag. I feel like he could run in it, but I don't have him listed as in for $20,000, so maybe I'm just missing something. I, I don't know. Maybe you can help me out here. Well, yeah, I'm not really too... I mean, I'm familiar with conditions, but I don't really know, like, you know, that well. But yeah, on my past, on my PPs, he's not in for the for the tag. And maybe I'm missing something, and and just sort of the reading comprehension is not there for me on a Monday. But I keep looking through it, and I go, I don't know. And again, not that he can't run in this race, but I feel like he has to run for the twenty thousand dollar tag. Anybody who's listening or watching. Uh, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. Um, neither here nor there. He's listed. He's running in the race. So he's a factor stretching out in distance, going from dirt to turf. Let's start with the pace situation. How did you see this unfolding? Because I, to me, I think a horse like Fly to Mars, the number six, this race sort of begins and ends with him because we need to decide where is he going to be positioned and what do you do with him? Yeah, you know, he has a really good back class from 2018. You know, obviously, he's not what he once was. He had that layoff. He's come back. Um, I guess he's had three races this year. Um, the last was a turf sprint, and it looks like Miller put the blinkers on him. And, he, you know, he wasn't up close. I think he was running sixth. He did come, didn't, you know, he did finish at the end. He finished fifth, you know, a couple lanes back. Um, but in his previous races, it looks like he liked to be placed forward on those turf races and, and you know, he would finish, I think, what he, the City of Hope and the Del Mar Turf Handicap. And I think he won, uh, what was that race, uh, the California Dreaming Stakes. Yep. That was all in 2018. So, yeah, I don't know what you're going to get. I mean, who who knows how, how the horse is doing. So far this year, he hasn't really shown much. Um, you know, the three starts, he's finished, what, fifth, seventh, and fifth. So, I... I look at the works. The works are okay. He had a couple of good works in October, and his last two works, I guess one at, uh, I guess they're both at San Luis Rey. They're just so-so. So it's hard to put a finger on where I, I think they'll probably, you know, put him out there and see how he does. He's uh, he was out there in the front on his first two starts of the year, but then he he kind of faded. Uh, coming for home so and then they they threw him in that turf sprint maybe my dad used to call it to lake him up kind of maybe get some some uh some uh, wind in him you know get him out there run fast and then put him back at a route so we'll see how he does yeah he kind of is is uh, unknown i mean if he if he pulls up any of that back class he's gonna he's gonna run away from these and and that's so I guess for me, that's the big piece, where if he shows up with anything remotely close to what he was once capable of, not only is he going to win, he's probably going to win by four or five. The The problem is we haven't seen that form, as you alluded to, since the end of 2018 that preceded a very, very long layoff. And since the layoff, he's come back and he just looks like a shell of what he once was. 
Then you see the cutback in distance. You see the addition of blinkers. He had worn blinkers at one point earlier in his career, but he really blossomed once they took the blinkers off him. They put him back on, and while he's exiting a very similar sort of class level of race, again, a, a Calbred non-winners of one other than, from a class standpoint, the horses he's run against in each of the past two starts, they are better than what he's going to face here in this spot on Friday. You have a number of horses who have come back in the most recent start and earned uh, low to mid-80 buyers. In the run two starts back, you have horses low to mid-80 buyers. Even the winner, Cali Caliente, came back and earned a 92 buyer in his next start. So this horse has been facing far better company. There's really no arguing that. The concern now becomes at a very short price because he's going to be the favorite in here. I'd be stunned if anybody else ended up going off favored. And I think he's going to be a very heavy favorite. He's taken money in all three of his starts here in 2020, including the one at Gulfstream Park when he really kicked things off in August. At a short, short price, let's say somewhere in that 8-5 to five range, if he can't run anymore, then all of a sudden you, you, know, you sort of open up Pandora's box and you can go a few different ways and you can find some prices. I know some people aren't big fans of statistics. Um, I think I tend to think there is some validity to some of them. And again, you can twist numbers to fit whatever narrative you're trying to spin. But I couldn't help but go through and find for Peter Miller, a trainer who thus far for this fall meeting down at Del Mar is just lighting the world on fire. He's 7 for 22 at the time that we're recording this on Monday. Over the past year in turf races, going from sprints to routes, He's 1 for 34 with a 64-cent ROI. So I see a number like that combined with a horse who, A, I don't know if he is what he once was, B, is going to be a short price, and C, from a running style standpoint, I expect him to be forward, but to be honest, I really don't know where we're going to see him. I think he'll be forward. I can't imagine him coming from off of it, but I don't know that he's got the gas that he once did. To me, it just it, it screams opportunity, a chance to take a shot against him. If he beats you, you tip your cap and say, good on you, old boy, you beat me. But I can find opportunities for some other intriguing prices. And if we're going to do that, and it sounds like you're sort of in agreement that fly to Mars, he can win, but mm, don't know that I need him in a short number. Who are some alternatives in a spot like this that you could see running well and possibly upsetting? So I think uh, one of the ones that... Uh that I think has a shot. It's not my pick, but um, the number two horse, I believe, Handsome, no, Tropical Terror. Mm-hmm. Terror. Yep. He, he's finished. I mean, he broke his, it looks like he broke his maiden in a, the same condition at a mile and a quarter his last race, which, you know, good, good for the horse. Um, he's finished, I think, sixth, or second six times on the turf at like a mile. I think one was at a mile and a 16th. He just missed by a nose at the mile and a 16th. So I don't, I think a mile might be too short, but there's a couple other horses in here that, you know, like the horse that just broke his maiden um, sprinting on the turf, mm-hmm. stumbled badly at the start, it said, and then, and then rallied. So I don't know if that horse, you know, a turf sprint, you, you might try to, there might be a couple that go, try to go for the lead. Um, there's also the, uh, the other horse that I'm thinking of is, um, the number is it the number seven horse? Clayton yeah, Delaney. No, not, yeah, Clayton Delaney. I think that horse on when it broke its maiden, it went wire to wire. Since mm-hmm. then, it hasn't really shown much speed, but um, they're putting it back on turf. Um, what did he finish uh, sixth last race on that turf sprint? So 
I, I think there might be a couple other horses that try to go with Flytomars. If Flytomars does run out there, um, so the, I, I'm thinking the horses. There's a couple horses on the outside that we just talked about that that might get out there and run. And my pick is I, I like the number one horse, the uh, Rustic Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little biased because I know Tamayo from up here at Golden Gate Field. So, yeah. but he's slowly, slowly kind of dipping his foot in the water in Southern California. He's starting to put his horses down there. He put this horse down at Santa Anita last time and it won for the same condition. Now it's in for a tag, but I believe it probably has to run for the tag because it's already won at this condition. Correct. And, um, I'm just thinking, you know, he won, he won that last race in one thirty-four, and I was just kind of going through the times of the other horses that, that ran. I think he's already beaten, uh, one of the horses twice. Yep. That's uh sea of Liberty. Yeah, Sea of Liberty. He's already beaten that horse twice, and he seems to be—he seems to be running good. You know, he's—he's—he's uh, he's, uh, since that break in January, they laid him off for a few months, brought him back in May. He won off the layoff, uh, then he finished fourth, and ever since then, he's finished uh, what two thirds, a second, and a win. So, out of all these horses that kind of have questions, you know, about their form, and you know, we got a lot of horses trying new things for the first time. We got you know two that are just coming out of maiden wins. Um, I just kind of went with him because I figured he's kind of shown decent form and he's since, since that break, it seems like that break has done well. And I know Tamayo can get him. He's not coming off another break. Now I think it's 48 days that my PP said, mm-hmm. and it seems to, um, Tamayo can, can get a horse ready off of a break. He has pretty good, uh, percentages horses coming off a, a layoff. This horse to me has been remarkably consistent since the the lengthy layoff we had at the beginning of 2020, and you can you can look at that a few different ways. Was the layoff due to all the COVID situation where things were a little bit on the slower side? Was it a, a necessary layoff? Whatever the case may be, the horse has come back, and while we don't have races that are off the charts fast that a horse like Fly to Mars at one point had in his career the horse just shows up and gives you what he's got. You know you can expect sort of a, a high 70, low 80 type of buyer from this horse. Coming into it in good form, you bring up Tamayo, a trainer who it feels like following sort of in the footsteps of a Hollendorfer, of a Steve Miotti, who, like you said, have had success in Northern California. Now they're making their way down to Southern California and far from being embarrassed. They're going out there and doing a good job. Uh, numbers for the trainer past year turf route winner last out five for 17 11 in the money so obviously can maintain them keep that form good and solid you brought up has already defeated a common foe in here on multiple occasions Uh, I I don't see any reason why that would be sort of the tables would turn in a situation like this and you know I'll be curious what your thoughts are from a running style standpoint I think this horse is actually going to work out a beautiful trip in here. I would imagine you're probably going to save every inch of ground, maybe three or four off the lead. And to your point, between the stretch-out sprinters and fly to Mars, who is also stretching out, obviously, but a horse who has shown that sort of early foot in the past, I think you could have a little bit of a swifter pace than something like Timeform US is suggesting. They have a blue bar indicating a slower pace, maybe favoring the horses that are on or near the early lead. To me, I think it could be a little bit, put it this way, I think at the very least, it'll be a fair pace, where if you like a horse trying to rally from off of it, I think you should have every opportunity. But I think your selection, Rustic Canyon, is probably going to trip out in here. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought, because I, I figured he's he's on the rail, which, you know, in a turf race is not sometimes the best. Um, but I think he has the speed, because it seems like the three or four horses to the outside of him are not not speed horses. I think they're more, you know, kind of middle-of-the-pack presser horses. 
um, that are going to lay back. So I think he's going to break out of the one post, be able to get a good position going into the first turn. And then, like, we have all those horses that are kind of stretching out. And I'm hoping he's just going to maybe sit behind those two or three horses. And then uh, when the real running starts, he, he's going to be right there. He'll be able to maybe get um, first jump on the closers. Because I think his last race after three quarters, I think they, they ran three quarters in 109. And he was just like maybe like two, two and a half lengths off the lead. And he ended up going away and winning, I think, by a lane. So that's exactly what I thought. That's how I kind of played it out in my head, that he's just going to be sitting maybe third, fourth, um, and be able to, to get the first jump on everybody else coming coming down the stretch. I, I think one of the other big pieces, too, is this is a horse who, while Del Mar may not be the first track you think of as sort of a horse-for-course type, the Del Mar turf I find to be a little bit of, I don't want to call it quirky, but but it's not nearly to the level of a Keeneland where I feel like horses who love Keeneland love Keeneland. I think Del Mar and Santa Anita. Santa Anita, I feel like you can get horses from anywhere and they'll show up and run well. Uh, it's one of the things that makes Santa Anita's turf course so appealing. You hear Europeans during the Breeders' Cup talk and just rave about Santa Anita's turf. Del Mar's turf, not that it's bad, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to slight the grass. I think it's just one of those where horses who have shown the ability to run well over it, I think they tend to replicate that. And Rustic Canyon nearly broke through this level four starts back at Del Mar, rallying from off of a fast pace. To your point, he doesn't have to come from way out of it. I think the only reason he was four and a half out of it that day is because they went guns blazing early on. So even if this is a hair on the more moderate side and he's a little bit closer, he still has shown the ability, as you've talked about in that run at Santa Anita most recently, to have a little bit of finish left in him and be able to get the job done. So I like the idea. I like the logic behind it. And the good news is, based on the way that he's been bet throughout his career, and with the presence of some other higher-profile outfits here in this race, we don't have morning lines yet. It's too early. But I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at sort of a mid-single kind of number, somewhere in that 5-1 to one range on a horse who, to me, has every opportunity and merits all the consideration for a race like this to come out on top. So I, I like the idea here, Tom. Tom Espinosa is going with the num- number one Rustic Canyon uh, are you vehemently against Fly to Mars, or is it just an instance where you say he can win, but I don't want him? Uh, same, yeah, same. He he can win, but I don't want him at the price he's getting. You know, Pratt's getting on the horse, and Pratt and and uh, Miller together, they're they're off the charts. Yeah. You know, when they team up, so you know the, he's going to take a lot of money. And one of the things I learned from you, you know, value. You want value for your money. You know, I don't I'm going to put my my two dollars on a horse that's going to be really low odds that his form is suspect. That's, that's not, you know, like I, like we said, if, if he beats us, you know, tip your cap and say, Hey, you beat us. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a value in when I'm, when I'm betting. So that's why I went with Rustic Canyon. The simplest way I would, I would explain fly to Mars in a race like this. If you told me he was going to be eight to five and he was going to run the way that he ran in the city of hope mile or the Del Mar mile back in 2018, I would say he should be about three to five in this race. And that's a tremendous bet. If you think he's going to run similar to the way that he has in his three starts in 2020 and he's 8-5, to five, I think his actual probability, his actual chances of winning, I think he should probably be closer to 3-1 to one or 4-1, to one, and therefore 8-5 to five is an underlay. He doesn't have any real edge on this field. Granted, he is taking on weaker compared to who he's run up against recently, but I'm with you. I'm against Fly to Mars in this spot as well. Tom Espinoza is going to go with the number one 
Rustic Canyon for this week's Friday feature. It is race six at Del Mar on Friday the 20th. If you want to get involved and be in the position that Tom is, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you win, I'll contact you. We'll get something set up. Tom Espinosa, thank you again for joining. One last time, where can folks follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Tom Espinosa, the number nine. Awesome, Tom. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck this week with the Friday feature and hope to chat soon. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Good to have you. And I'm just the ultimate proof that, like you said, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. My go-to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my go-to now, too. I'm, I'm, king, I'm king of the blind squirrels, so you've, you've had royalty on your show. Hopefully, hopefully we can find a couple more here this week. Good luck, Tom. Okay. You too, Matt. Thank you. Thanks. All right, folks. I wasn't kidding. Going to keep it very, very brief here because I'm going to save your time and mine both. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint for the first time is won by a European. I believe this was the 13th running of the Turf Sprint. And finally, we have a Euro who has come over and won the four-year-old Philly Glass Slippers. She wins with a very slick ride. Scraping paint, able to tip out, gets the job done by a half length. 104 buyer, 121 time form US rating. The numbers are slightly off again if we're using that sort of 20-point differential, that 20-point scale between the two figs. Um, you know, in a turf sprint, I, again, I, I, look, let me rephrase that. Turf sprints, figs are obviously done the exact same way that the other races are done. Uh, different dis distances and surfaces and things like that. But having said that, um, you know, d do with this what you will. Turf sprints, I'm far from an expert on. Uh, I, I try to just stay alive. I try to get through them and turn the page onto something I'm a little bit better at. So, uh, you know, this race as a whole... I don't know what it really means going forward. What your whistle, he got kind of left at the gate and then came with this wicked run, which is a complete, total 180 from the way that he won that turf race up at Belmont Park in which he won in gate-to-wire fashion. Granted, there was a loose horse there that day that might have thrown a little bit of a fly into the ointment, but uh, he ran very well. Uh, Leinster, I thought, if you look at the way the race is run uh, from where the top two finishers, or let's say three of the top four, we're all positioned. Leinster was the closest to the pace. The fractions you can see down here at the bottom, 21 and 1, 43 and 4 for a half. They stopped the clock in five and a half furlongs and 101 and 2. So uh, I thought it was a good effort from Leinster. Um, most people, I'm sure, the, the obvious trouble in here was Imprimis. Uh He gets stopped cold probably about the eighth pole, trying to find a space to go for Irad Ortiz. Unfortunately, at that point, uh, you're toast. You got nowhere to go. So uh, just bad racing luck. I don't think there's really anything else to say about that. These races, for me, are just a bit of a mystery simply because so much can go wrong in such a short amount of time. And for whatever reason, I feel like these five and a half furlong turf sprints, I know we're only dealing with a half furlong difference, but between the turf and the dirt, this feels like a frantic, like just, just it's controlled chaos compared to a six furlong dirt sprint to me, which seems like it's much more, I, I don't even have a good way to explain it. And I don't even really know what I'm trying to say. But I just struggle mightily with these races. And I, I liked Bombard. He finished eighth. That's, that, is, that is very on brand for me in these turf sprints. So again, I don't have a hell of a lot else to say. Glass Slippers gets the job done. The first Euro to win uh, a Breeders' Cup turf sprint. Pays $22, 
what your whistle, nice rally from the back of the pack. Leinster ran well, given the way the race sort of set up and the way, the way it played out. Extravagant Kid ran fine. Got Stormy, got a little bit tired in deep stretch. Um, and the, the obvious trip in here was Imprimis being stopped as badly as he was. Outside of that, I don't have a hell of a lot to offer. Thoughts, questions, comments, leave them beneath the video player on YouTube. Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. It was the first Breeders' Cup race on Breeders' Cup Saturday. Gamine and Serengeti Empress, it was it was the matchup that had been billed for quite some time. The two speed balls. We knew that Serengeti Empress was going to make the front. The question was uh, that I had, I know some others had as well, could Gamine keep up with her at the pace that Serengeti Empress was going to throw at her? And what would that do to her? Uh, obviously, if you heard any of the analysis that I was involved with, whether it was in the podcast or whether it was on NBC, I thought it was going to be one of those situations where Gamine was close to the unbelievable pace and she was going to possibly crack because the times that she had run those giant races going one turn, A, they were against inferior company, B, they were with extremely, extremely soft pace scenarios. What was going to happen when somebody threw a little bit of gas at her early on? And she answered the question pretty authoritatively. I mean, it was just a stunning performance. And I know many people want to point to the medication overages that she has twice failed tests for Baffert's Barn. I, you know, draw your own conclusions. I, I don't know what you want to do with that. Um, with the Breeders' Cup testing, I'm, I'm going to look at this and say it's on the up and up. Uh, and, and I have no reason to believe otherwise. She went out there and she blitzed this field. It was an unreal performance. 110 buyer speed figure, 132 raw time form US rating. Uh, Serengeti Empress, you know, I suppose you can say she may have taken a slight step back, but if you take Gamine out of this race, she wins. Uh, and she probably wins rather comfortably given the fact that she had to go as fast as she did early with a horse like Gamine kind of hounding her. So uh, Serengeti Empress loses nothing in defeat. Again, she, she is one of those horses who this 2020 campaign... When you look at it in its entirety for her, it's probably not going to be the most sparkling thing you've ever seen because I think she only came out on top once as far as the big, big races are concerned. But she ran so well in so many of these races. Really, hats off to Tom Amos and company for keeping her in the form that she was in. Uh, I believe she has been retired now. 98 buyer, 121 time form U.S. rating. Bell's the one in Wisconsin. They take advantage of that hot pace. Anyone else that was reasonably close, including the three-year-olds, they finished up the track. So... This was really a tale of, I would say, two horses who were head and shoulders above everyone else. And yes, I tried to beat them with Come Dancing, and I wanted to use Sally's curling underneath. But it was just a, you could argue that it was the best performance of the weekend. Um, it, it was just a, a really exceptional effort. And I I understand, I and I know Baffert has been quoted saying he still thinks she can stretch out. Maybe she can, but... To me, it, you know, I I've always have used Frosted as sort of the example of the one-turn versus two-turn where you see the stark contrast in the performances where a horse is fully capable of running well doing something that maybe that's not actually what they want to do. Uh, and for Frosted, it was the Met Mile, which is what he, I think he wanted to do versus all the other two-turn races that he had so much success in. Gamine didn't, hasn't run poorly in either of the two two-turn races. Uh, the one where she was uh, disqualified, obviously the Oaklawn race, the two-turn race where Speech nearly went and got her, and the two-turn race in the Kentucky Oaks where she ran 
all things considered, a solid third. It was far from an embarrassing performance. But the the one-turn races are exponentially better than what she's done to date going two turns. I'm sure they'll be tempted next year as a four-year-old to try to get her out to two turns at least one more time. I think the dangerous thing, depending on who is still in training in Southern California, it could very easily be, well, I guess you can say that about anywhere, but it sounds like Monomoy Girl, there's the chance that she comes back next year uh, as a, what, six-year-old? Not 100% locked up, but it sounds like that's a possibility, I believe. Um, I would be very hesitant to take any Southern California two-turn route results for a horse like Gamine at face value simply because I don't think, and again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. We need to wait and see what the depth of that division looks like. But I would venture a guess to say she's just going to be beating up on inferior competition. Therefore, it may look like the two turns isn't an issue. What happens when you run against better horses who really want the two turns? That, to me, is always going to be something that's in the back of my mind whenever they do try to go two turns with her again. In one-turn races, though, the fact that she sat off of a target and she still finished the way that she did, um, just a, a sublime performance. Uh, maybe you want to try to run her in the La Brea on opening day out at Santa Anita going seven-eighths of a mile. It is a grade one. I don't think it would do anything as far as the three-year-old honors are concerned. I... I I'd be surprised if so Skydiver wasn't the three-year-old Philly champion, but um, I don't believe she dares the devil has enough of a resume, even with the Kentucky Oaks. Gamine would probably be the only alternative. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess that at that point, that would be something for the voters of the Eclipse Awards to weigh. What is more impressive and more important? You know, we talk about the Breeders' Cup. Obviously, probably is... The, the Breeders' Cup carries the most weight. There's no arguing that, but... Does it carry so much weight that it outweighs a horse in Swiss Skydiver who went out and won the Gulfstream Park Oaks, the Santa Anita Oaks, the Preakness? We know about that. We know about the grade one Alabama. She she ran so big in all of these giant races. And with Gamine, yes, she won multiple grade ones. You know, she won the Acorn. She won the test. She won the Philly and Mare Sprint. Does that campaign outweigh what Swiss Skydiver did? Uh, to me, if I were a voter, I would vote for Swiss Skydiver for three-year-old Philly. But there's at least a case to be made for a horse like Gamine. Um, I just, it, it, you know, these one-turn races, I th- it'll be fascinating to see what they choose to do with her. Because if, if this is what she is going one turn, then to me, there, there's really no race that she doesn't fit or doesn't at least become a, a top level contender in that is a one turn race um, six furlongs maybe that's a bit on the sharp side but I'm thinking uh, next year with the boys I mean wh- why couldn't she run in the in the Met Mile why couldn't she run in a race that you know clearly the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint fits the bill but I, I think of a race like the Met Mile that's the first one that comes to mind anyway if this is what she is, and you think she could potentially get better as a four-year-old, she, I, I would see no reason why you wouldn't go down that route knowing that, that that opens up Pandora's box. You have the ability then to sort of, you can campaign the way that you want, but let's say you run in a race like the Met Mile and you win that against boys as a Philly. 
I mean, you you automatically throw your hat into the horse of the year conversation, assuming you go and run the table against the girls in whatever other races you want. So she's uh, she's very clearly an exceptional talent. I, I don't think anybody's denying that. It's hard to argue that now. One ten buyer, one thirty two time form U.S. rating. We're dealing with these are these are big league numbers here. Uh, Serengeti Empress loses nothing in defeat, but the show in the Philly and Mare Sprint, it all went through Gamine. Shifting our attention to Future Stars Friday, we will begin with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Two-year-olds, Mile and a 16th on the main track. Essential quality gets the job done beneath Luis Saez for Brad Cox. It was a wicked weekend, really, for Brad Cox as a whole. Monomoy girl, essential quality. We'll talk shortly about Aunt Pearl. This is a fascinating race to me because you take a look at the pace situation, you take a look at the final figures that were earned, and the way that these numbers were earned, and it I almost have more questions going forward than I do answers. Essential Quality wins the race, 95 buyer, 112 time form US rating. He has taken steps forward in all three of his starts from a speed figure standpoint. He has won pressing the lead. He has won from well off of it. He has the pedigree that would suggest he's going to run all day. He has top flight connections. At face value, there's a lot to like about this horse. And to make you think, you're looking at a horse that's going to be on the short list of contenders for the Kentucky Derby in May. That may all play out. But it also needs to be acknowledged that the pace signed on in this race was astounding. They went, I I wouldn't even call it fast. They went blistering for two-year-olds, some of them trying two turns for the first time. 22-2 and for the opening quarter, 45-1 and for the half. 10 and 2 for three quarters. They stopped the clock in 42 flat. Not only were they going fast, they were duking it out on the front end. It wasn't like you had one runaway break off. You had three or four horses up there really throwing it down. So, essential quality while he carried ground, he had the run of the race, in my opinion. So, there's, there's the first piece to sort of look at. The second piece, they kind of go in tandem. The second and third place finishers. Hot Rod Charlie and Keep Me in Mind. They were 94 to 1 and 30 to 1, respectively. Hot Rod Charlie most recently was a maiden winner at Santa Anita, his first time going two turns on dirt. He hadn't shown a lot on the turf. They move him over to the dirt, they put blinkers on him. He breaks his maiden in, let's just say, uh, pedestrian time 78 by or 98 raw time form rating. Shows up here in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile has some pace to run at, is in a similar position to that of a central quality, looks like a winner at about the eighth pole, and he gets run down by a central quality, loses by three quarters of a length. Earns a 94 buyer and a 111 time form US rating. So pretty significant steps forward here from his maiden score in his most recent run. Now, not out of the question or out of the realm of possibility that that's all within reason. Second time going two turns on dirt. Second time wearing blinkers with a with an advantageous pace situation in front of him. Not out of the realm of possibility that he moves forward. Keep me in mind. Another horse who takes advantage of the pace situation, closing from last. Blinkers go on for the first time for Robertino Diodoro. This horse was the runner-up in the Breeders' Futurity at the beginning of October behind Essential Quality. So you can look at that immediately and say, key race, those two horses... The first and second place finishers of that race, they come back and run first and third in the Breeders' Cup. The 83 buyer he had earned in his race prior 
92 again within reason not out of not totally out of left field blinkers go on maybe he's a little bit more focused and again the pace situation we've we've already discussed the the only thing that makes me a little hesitant is that again hot rod charlie this is his first time against winners his first time out of southern california he had he didn't have the run of the race but he had a lot of things go his way keep me in mind is now an 0 for 3 maiden thus far now he's probably a very he's a very good maiden i'm not going to say probably but he's 0 for 3 with two runner-ups and a third-place finish to his name, he had everything go his way as far as the pace is concerned. I, He's not on the short list, or at least he wasn't going into it, clearly, at 30-1, to of the most likely winners. Jackie's Warrior was bet down to odds of 9-10. to In his first time going out to two turns, he was coming out of blowout wins in all of his starts thus far. Multiple grade one winner. Wins the champagne for fun. Tries to go out to two turns. And when I first watched the race, you know, there's a lot to digest as you're watching a race and you're trying to see who's positioned where and what the fractions are and who looks well, you know, all, all that stuff. And at face value, I said, uh, you know, or at first glance anyway, I said, yeah, you know what? I I, I get it. The people talk about the two-turn thing and they th- Maybe it's a little bit overblown. Maybe it's not. I think it's important, especially with a horse who's going to be not just a favorite, but a prohibitive favorite. And I said, you know, the two-turn thing, there was, you know, there's no guarantee that it was going to work. But then you go back and look and see the way the race was run and where he was positioned. He was involved in that skirmish early on. I'm going to call it a skirmish with the three or four horses just absolutely throwing it down on the front. And he's the only one remotely close at the end. And I thought he, he I thought he just kind of plugged on at the end. And when I say plugged on, I don't mean just kind of plotted. He kept going. He tried. He was exhausted, and, and rightfully so. But this was a good effort from him when you think about it from the way the race set up. He was close to a hot pace, first time going two turns. He doesn't totally pack it in. Yes, he gets run over by three other horses, but they all had much better runs of the race than he did. He did all the dirty work and paid the price for it. So now I'm looking at the top four finishers, and I say essential quality made plenty of sense going into the race. Hot Rod Charlie, you couldn't have paid me to touch him at 94 to 1. Keep me in mind, I guess if you like the central quality, keep me in mind makes sense because that breeder's futurity, maybe it is just a key race. And Jackie's Warrior makes plenty of sense. So now we keep going down the list. Ron Bauer, I liked him. I thought coming in from Southern California, he would have the hot pace to run at. And he did, but he just kind of plotted. And this is his first real acid test against what should be, or in theory, is a good group. But now I'm I'm starting to to wonder, and we won't know until we get more of a sample from these horses. But I don't I don't know what to make of this race because the speed figures are very strong for two year olds. This on on time, this is a, an extremely solid group. But on credentials. The top five finishers, with the exception of Essential Quality and Jackie's Warrior, they're lacking at best, subpar at worst. So I, I, the only thing I can, I can say definitively about this race is that there, I need more of a sample to really kind of 
and this isn't rocket science. I mean, this is a very sort of vanilla take. I need to see what some of these horses go on to do out of this race. And I'm not saying, you know, way down the road, but I'm saying at least in their next start. I got to see something from the, the Hot Rod Charlies, the Keep Me In Minds of the World. Because they had a lot of things go their way. At least with essential quality, he had shown the ability to be up close to a pace. Granted, it was a slow one. But he had he'd shown that he can get into the run earlier. And Luis Saez has said he's still very, very green. He doesn't know what he's doing out there. And he's got the breeding. He's got the connections. Yada, yada, yada. Jackie's Warrior, probably better than I gave him credit for. On numbers going into it, he was a standout. But I would just strongly urge, and I'm not just saying it because he didn't win this race... I get it seems like, boy, four to five. And I was guilty of it with Tis the Law in the Kentucky Derby. Boy, you you need to be head and shoulders above the rest of the group and not have any questions to answer. And that happens so few and far between. Boy, taking nine to ten or four to five on a horse in a full field. I learned, I, 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 it's, boy, you, you just need to be so far superior. And not have to answer questions first time doing something, first time doing this, all these other things. Forget about the fact that they're babies. But as a whole, this group, I don't know. I'm having a difficult time really deciding what I think. Because I do think there's quality in here, but but the result is almost fogging the, the lens for me. Where should I be holding it against essential quality in Jackie's Warriors that the second and third place finishers who had solid runs of the race, given the way everything played out, were very difficult to have going into the race? I don't know. Time will tell. I'm curious what all of you think about this race, specifically the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or under. I realized in that last segment, I believe I said respectively. It should have been respectfully. It's a Monday. I'm trying to shake the rust off. Uh, talk about feeling silly. Feeling kind of silly after the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf goes off and Aunt Pearl wins for fun at 5-2. to two. I had been down there for her run in the Jessamine, and I had said after the race, I said she might be a superstar. She might just be a freak of nature. Uh, and, you know, I got... I talked myself into the possibility of her having so much company up front specifically from Campanelli, that maybe it was going to take a little bit of the starch out of her and some of these other horses who have legitimate credentials and have shown the ability to sit and rally were going to be able to run her down. And when they all break and you see that opening quarter go up in 22 and a piece and Aunt Pearl and Campanelli are right there, I'm thinking, okay, this thing is... this is it, it, We're going to have that duel set up. It's going to fall apart. And here we go. We're going to have somebody rallying from off of it. And then when Frankie DeTore took Campanelli about, I'm going to say two or three pads off the rail, rounding the first turn, and Flo and Aunt Pearl were able to, to continue on and opened up on them, I, I was a little bit, I'm sitting there going, ah, I don't know if I like this for me as someone who didn't back Aunt Pearl. Because when she was able to open up and you could see her I'm not going to say throw throw up the flaps, but basically just sort of take that deep breath because nobody was hounding her. And then the fractions flashed up at 47 and 1 for the half. I said, oh, buddy, this is going to be tough. Because unless she comes to a complete crawl, which I, there, there was no reason to believe she was going to, 
she was going to be difficult to run down, and it's it, it almost looked like a carbon copy of the Jessamine, where she went fast early, she was able to take that big breather in that second quarter, and she had plenty left turning for home to kick on and win by more than two lengths. 91 buyer, 112 time form U.S. rating. There are so many things about Aunt Pearl that are that are exciting, but I think that, the, and I'm not the first one to bring this up, there are so many similarities, it feels like anyway, to newspaper of records two-year-old campaign many moons ago. I say many moons ago, I think it was like two years ago. The the precocity, just the sort of backbreaking speed that she has against some of these other girls, it, it's it's sort of the smack in the face of they don't know what hit them. And by the time they can kind of get their, their head wrapped around it, Aunt Pearl is is open, and she kicks with as good a finish as any of these other horses do. And that's why I always talk about that early positional speed, especially in grass routes. If you can be forward, and you're going to kick pretty darn close, maybe not quite as fast, but pretty darn close to what the closers are going to kick, they, they simply, there's no way they're going to run you down. And for a horse like this to finish the way that she does after going as fast as she does early on, it's a special, special gift and a special talent. Now, I, I don't know if we are going to see the same thing we saw with Newspaper of Record. I'll never forget it. There was someone back when I was doing the show with the racing form. They, they had made some kind of comment about how Newspaper of Record hadn't beaten anything and they were going to withhold judgment. And I called them a dope. And when newspaper of record did not go on and run well as a three-year-old, that person came right back and threw it in my face. And you know what? Rightfully so. I was wrong. I rushed the judgment and, and I, I, I was, I was wrong flat out. I was wrong. And I shouldn't have called that individual a dope. Now with aunt Pearl, I think she's beaten good horses. I really do. I'm, I can't help, but be a little, have that little scar tissue of, knowing what we saw from newspaper of record and thinking that she was just going to be this this absolute world beater because they had even kicked tires on the idea of sending her over to Royal Ascot as a three-year-old. And we've already heard Brad Cox and company with Aunt Pearl kick the tires on the idea of an international campaign. When I say international, obviously it would be Royal Ascot. I, you know, what happens if she doesn't make the front? I, I have no reason to believe that she'll, she'll shut it down, but you, you never know until they do it. And I, I, again, raising my hand, I was, I was wrong about newspaper of record. I get eerily similar vibes from Aunt Pearl, but I'm not going to go as far as to say, you know, it, it's impossible for her to be beat at some point because she's run three times. She's run unbelievably well in all the starts. Um, she's a joy to watch and good on the connections, but I, I just, I... I have nothing to knock about her right now, but I'm not going to make any sort of outrageous claims like I did two years ago with newspaper of record, especially to anyone that wants to turn around and say, Aunt Pearl, she's what happens when she gets headed? What happens when all the other girls continue to mature and get bigger and stronger and the whole nine? Uh, all I'll say is right now as a two-year-old, she is spectacular. She is really something something else, and, and the connections have every right to be <laughs> not just excited, but almost nervously excited about what this girl could be. 
Um, no real surprise that the second, third, and fourth place finishers are European-based horses. I understand Campanelli technically is here in the States, but uh, she's done her running over in Europe. Plum Ali is the one of the American contingent that tried to make a little bit of a run um, to no avail. All in all, you know, and, and the reason I say I feel a little silly, not only did I think Aunt Pearl, you know, after that run in the Jessamine, I said she might be a superstar. I just didn't think she'd go off a of 5-2, to two, and I, I let the pace situation get into my head, and, and it's easy to sit here and, you know, Monday morning quarterback it and say, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. But, hey, we all make the decisions we make, got to live with the with the repercussions. So Aunt Pearl gets the job done. In, if if Gamine... If Gamine is not the most impressive performance of the weekend, Aunt Pearl is probably the most impressive performance of the weekend, for my money, by my estimation. Uh, let me know what you all think of Aunt Pearl in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube, not just from this performance, but going forward as a three-year-old. Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, Vequist gets the job done over day out of the office. 93 buyer, 110 time form U.S. rating, scraping paint beneath Joel Rosario. You know, I guess one of those, if you really liked the Frazette, which on paper coming into the juvenile fillies was the fastest of the two-year-old filly prep races, then you probably made out quite well because you got odds of 6-1 to one over 4-1 to one and your exacta came back about 50 bucks for a deuce. Um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot that you can talk about with this race. Let's start with Princess Noor, who went off as your 9-5, to five, I'm going to say lukewarm favorite. Because Simply Ravishing took plenty of money and nearly got up there for favoritism. Princess Nora was the polarizing horse going into it because she simply put was not fast enough at that point anyway to run with the big girls. Uh, I would say that at least bore out where she was not fast enough. She was not impossibly beaten. It's not like she was completely destroyed. I mean, she, she got beat pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But she earned an 85 buyer and a 104 time form U.S. rating. So she certainly was not good enough to win. I'm not making that case at all. So this was a win for the speed figure folks. And for the folks who, you know, we talk about the, I bring it up anyway, sort of the eye test, the idea of how, do, do they look good despite the numbers being slow? And again, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The eye test, trust your eyes. Trust the speed figures. You need to find some kind of combination. But the key to the entire piece is, if you're trusting your eye with a horse that's slow on paper and you're dealing with a 9-to-5 favorite, you're probably smarter looking for someone else. If you're trusting your eye and you've got a horse who's a little bit slow on figs but is going to be 15 or 20-to-1, trust your eye. Don't be afraid to go that route. Let the price be your guide. Don't get suckered into use again. Even if you're right, even if your eye is is not deceiving you, but the horse is eight to five or nine to five or two to one, there I, I promise you there will be nine to five or two to one shots that not only pass the eye test but pass the fig test, and they're probably coming up in the next race or the race following. If you have a horse that looks really good and you trust your eye, and they're going to be fifteen or twenty to one. What's, there's nothing wrong with taking a shot there, especially if you have questions or you don't like any of the shorter prices. That, to me, is the differentiating piece. I don't like the people who are saying, oh, the eye test is BS, or oh, uh, who cares about speed figures? D those are both ignorant statements, in my opinion. 
regardless of how experienced you are. There is a middle, there is a middle ground as there there's a middle ground for everything, but apparently, you know, in 2020, there's no room for the middle. Neither here nor there. The idea is if your eye tells you something and you're dealing with a short price but the figs don't add up, you're probably playing with fire. If your eye tells you something and the figs aren't quite there, but you're going to get $40 on the winner if if you're right, take a shot. What are you afraid of? I think there is there is a middle area there. And that's all I'll say about Princess Nor. Now, with the two Phillies coming from New York, Vequist saves ground every inch of the way, a daring ride from Rosario to hang down on the rail. They out of the office just floats just a hair out. I think she got short at the end. This was not a super taxing pace, in my opinion, um, for girls that are of this quality. So it makes me wonder if, if day out of the office, simply put, just the distance may have got to her. Vequist finished really well, and there's every reason to think that she's going to be a horse that you're going to need to deal with going forward as a three-year-old for a race like the Kentucky Oaks. Um, we talk about horses coming off of perfect trips. You know, she's going to be the favorite in whatever race she runs in next. Uh, I don't know when or where that will be. But all I would say is she had effectively the perfect trip in here. Do you want to take a perfect trip horse who's going to be an extremely short price? Unless she just is head and shoulders above everyone else in the field. And we'll find out in time. But it's just something to file away. Doesn't mean that she's not going to be and doesn't deserve to be one of the favorites for the Oaks. But in whatever her first race back is going to be, because she's going to be the two-year-old Philly champion, unless someone like Aunt Pearl, you know, bucks her head and ends up saying, making a statement. But I, I'd be surprised just because people here in the United States don't value turf racing as much as dirt, which is another story for another day. That's uh, I don't understand it, but it is what it is. Just keep that in mind. Vequist, for the most part, this is a pretty perfect trip for her. Uh, day out of the office, really, uh, the only thing I would say in defeat is that now I think there's a legitimate question about how far she wants to go. This is at a mile and a 16th. Maybe she is going to be a little bit better off at those shorter distances, one-turn type of races, but she at least deserves another opportunity to stretch her legs again. Uh, Girl Daddy was wide in this race. I thought she ran quite well, all things considered. We haven't seen her since the beginning of September. She'll be a sneaky one, I think, going forward where the distance I don't think is going to be the thing that gets her beat. I think it's going to ultimately be, is she good enough to run with the other girls? And considering how lightly raced she is and what she's done in her three lifetime starts, I think there's every reason to think that she's going to be a very, very talented racehorse. Uh, and we'll wrap up with Simply Ravishing. Now, I love Simply Ravishing going in, and I love her coming out. Um, maybe this is being a little bit hard-headed, but if I want one horse out of this race, it's still Simply Ravishing. Uh, it, it, you know, it was a bit of a joke, but I know they were going back and forth. Uh, Edzo and, and uh, Jerry Bailey, during the broadcast, Edzo was saying that it was a, a brutal trip for, for Simply Ravishing. Jerry didn't agree with it. I All I said to, to Edzo was, I think it was an uncomfortable trip. I don't know that it was a troubled trip. I lean more toward Edzo than I do with Jerry in this instance because the bobble out of the gate, I think certainly, that changed the dynamic dramatically because I think she had to go from the inside to procure that inside position. When she bobbles... Obviously, now she's behind the eight ball. You have to take dirt in your face, and now you got to navigate some sort of a trip from down there. Once she kind of found herself, and you can say on the far turn, maybe she's not running. But to be fair, she's in between horses in a tight position that she had never been in thus far in her career. And then down the lane, the whole situation with Princess Nora coming over, she's tiring, simply ravishing, has to alter down to the rail again. 
the thing I liked most about Simply Ravishing, though, was that she continued to try. And to me, I get it. It's not the place that you want the educational trip. But I think she gains a ton from this effort because she, I, I think this is the most educational race of her career. The other trips in the grand scheme of things were pretty cushy, pretty comfortable. I think this race in defeat, I think she probably gains more out of this than she would have had she been able to go out there and set the pace like they had at the office would. And I don't think she would have stopped. Put it that way. I think she gains more out of this. And it's, I know Kenny McPeak's barn, I'm sure they all would have loved to have gotten off the duck as far as the Breeders' Cup goes. I think this could sneaky be a blessing in disguise for this horse and this this outfit going forward because I think she learns a lot in this race. And if I'm if I need to bet on one of these girls next year as a three-year-old, it's simply ravishing. But that doesn't take away from the winner. The juvenile Phillies, Vequist, a beautiful trip and a beautiful ride from Joel Rosario. She prevails with a 93 buyer and a 110 time form US rating, in all likelihood, locking up the two-year-old champion Philly. Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, fire at will. Lovely trip, able to sort of get that pocket position throughout, tracking out a door, tips out, turning for home, finishes full of run, extends, opens up on this field, wins by three, 90 buyer, 110 time form US rating. This is on the heels of a victory in the Pilgrim at Belmont in which he goes out there and sets comical fractions on the lead and has plenty left in the tank, turn him for home, and kicks away from public sector. Now, I'm guilty of saying I thought public sector was best in that Pilgrim because of the pace disadvantage. Um, I also probably discounted Fire at Will simply because, I, I mean, it was a combination of the most recent run being the candy of all candy trips on the lead. But also, I, you know, he had, yeah, he had passed horses, but it was in a sloppy sealed race up at Saratoga. So I, I just, I'm guilty of, of under underestimating this horse going into it. He pulled a beautiful trip, and he had plenty left down the lane. Really, uh, a no-question winner. There's no two ways around it. Mike Maker and company, really well done with this horse. Uh, He gets the job done pretty emphatically. Battleground rallied from off the pace. In between horses, running the far turn, carried a little bit of extra ground, finished well. Based on pedigree, this horse, you would imagine, the longer is going to be better. I have no reason to, to question the fact that as a three-year-old, this horse is going to be a serious runner in some of the biggest races in Europe uh, for Coolmore and folks. Out of door, the horse that I liked for Wesley Ward, I think it was, in my opinion, pretty clear. He just didn't see out the distance. Um, I, I didn't think that was going to be an issue for him, especially with the way the race was run. I thought it was a, a relatively comfortable pace situation, 23-3, and three, 48 flat, 12-3 and three for three quarters. And he just... It looked like for a moment, you know, I, I got a little bit of a thrill at the top of the lane, and he just couldn't see out the distance. Um, and who knows, maybe as a three-year-old, he'll continue to you know, sort of develop and progress. But to me, that was probably as good as it's going to get as far as trip goes. You're not going to get much better than that, and, and he just couldn't quite see it out. Uh, Cadillac, nice effort from this horse coming over from Europe as well. Seal away might have been a little bit unlucky, but I thought he was just sort of up and down, down the lane. Early on, there was quite a bit of, of traffic down the front side the first time going into the first turn had a couple horses check uh, one horse the rider even lost the irons seal away had the sort of steady out of a, a position i think he probably would have been more mid-pack as opposed to rallying from the back he did put in a nice bid uh, a fine effort for that horse who, who had looked so good in his most recent run over at longchamp uh, don't really have a ton to add about the rest of the field Mutazabek, yes he was wide he had to carry a lot of ground but 
he's sort of the, the horse that, you know, the prime example of everything went his way in that run in the bourbon. He had a wicked pace to run at. Yes, he carried a ton of ground, but the idea is the last thing you want is to get this horse stopped when he's got a full head of steam and everybody else is crawling, crying for mom because they, they, they've gone too fast early on. So he had everything play out in his favor in that bourbon leading into this race against better horses, maybe with a pace situation that was going to be to his disadvantage. And unfortunately for him and, and folks that backed him, I think that kind of played out. So do with that what you will. Public sector, I thought he was just, frankly, I thought he was poor. I thought it was a bad effort all around. Uh, disappointing performance from that horse. And outside of that, I don't really have much to add. New Mandate was lit up like a Christmas tree early on. Um, and, and obviously he paid the price down the lane at seven to two, or excuse me, at seven to one. He was a little bit of a uh, hot horse as far as the wagering was concerned. But but no no doubt about it, winner. Fire at Will was the best horse in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And he he's shown a willingness to be forward. He clearly can stalk a pace and be effective. I have no reason to think the distance is going to be anything that beats him. He's a declaration of war out of a kitten's joy mare. And he goes out for, for a great trainer, Mike Maker. Uh, interesting horse going forward. Fire at will is. He gets the job done in the juvenile turf. We'll button up episode 41 with the juvenile turf sprint. Again, I'm not going to dive too much into this other than Golden Pal is, you know, when I heard Wesley Ward was suggesting that this might be the best horse when it's all said and done that he's ever trained. That's a that's a pretty bold statement. Wesley Ward's had some some really exceptional runners over the years, but uh, this was this was a big league effort for him to run the way that he did. He blows out of the gate like an absolute shot, and then Irad grabs him a little bit. He throws his head, but then quickly comes to hand, relaxes, and can open up on the field pretty much at will. You know, if you want to say he was getting a little bit short late. I don't know, maybe, but at that point, it was all over, but the shouting. Uh, 90 buyer, 105 time form U.S. rating. He wins rather comfortably at 4-5. to five. Cowan runs second. You better believe it runs third. Again, I don't have a hell of a lot to add here. Uh, an impressive performance. What does it mean? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I'm sure they'll go back over to Europe with him next year as a three-year-old, just simply because I, th- I think we're a little bit limited here in the States as far as our, our proper turf sprint competition is concerned, but... Um, really exceptional effort from a very, very talented racehorse. No two ways around it. Golden Pal wins the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. If you have any comments, any questions, any thoughts about any of these races or this week's Friday feature, the 6th at Del Mar on Friday afternoon, leave the questions and all that jazz or your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you listen Audio only, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. Your Android device, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're over on YouTube, make sure, again, easy enough. Matt Bernie, you're showing the search bar. Make sure you subscribe to the In The Money Media channel. and Make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded, whether it's this show, whether it's the Players Podcast, whether it's anything that we do video-wise over on In The Money Media. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter... At Bernier underscore Matt, I will be back next Monday with episode 42, and we will have a new Friday feature. Until then, again, get involved with the Friday feature. Leave your selection beneath the video player. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, or wherever you play. This has been episode 42 of the Matt Bernier Show.